Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Country Boy, host of the Cut Podcast, a barbershop style conversation show, and his new show, One Mike Podcast, which retells impactful stories of black history, like the great migration of African Americans from the rural South, rural, 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 rural South to the industrial North from 1916 to 1940. It's a, a little 30 rock joke for you guys there. In the episode, we were able to talk about the cultural impact of reboots. After recording the episode, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot was picked up for a two-season order by NBC's Peacock. Uh, which also has 30 Rock there. Another 30 Rock connection. As mentioned, myself and Country Boy are, are big fans of the show, and we both wish, you know, we both want the reboot to be successful. But as always, only time will tell. Best case scenario, we both look like fools in two years after the show was a major success. But I do want to hear what movie or show you would like to see rebooted. Send in your suggestions to our email, watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com, or comment on this episode's Instagram post at watercoolertalkpod. I mentioned a show in the episode that you know, you'll have to you'll have to listen to hear. But another show I would love to see rebooted, maybe even just another season, would be Freaks and Geeks. Fantastic show, and I need to see Paul Feig's clan storyline come to life with what, I mean, now basically they're all all-star cast of actors, uh, every single one of them pretty much. And then in our final story, we discuss the importance of barbershops in the community and how those conversations are helping build a better, more productive community of males willing to be vulnerable and honest. I love talking about male vulnerability here. It's something we are very passionate about on the podcast. And it's important us men have more conversations like we have in this episode. Whether it be a barbershop, the gym, on the golf course, in a podcast, find a place where you feel you can be open to be you. Right? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I promise it's the gift that keeps on giving. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 47 titled Barbershop Advice with Country Boy. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. As of, I think, August 23rd, we're recording this episode, you did celebrate a birthday, so I just want to say happy birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah, thank you. I turned I turned 40, man. It's, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I did when I turned 30. Like, wow. And honestly, I had all these plans of things that I was going to do, and we were going to have a big shindig, and then, you know- my As wife far as like a shoot. celebration. Yeah, yeah. We were going to do, we were going to have a get-together, a bunch of people- um, like, you know, rent a venue. And then my wife found out she was pregnant and that kind of put a damper on it. We were like, it's still going to do something though. And, then the coronavirus <laughs> happened, and it was just like curb stomp that idea. That's not happening. Let's get, get over that idea. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Like what's on, what's on the horizon for things you want to accomplish as you move through those kind of next steps of life? Oh, wow. Um, getting deep right away. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, as far as from like, from life, from life standpoint, you know, being a an older father is a new, brand new experience for me. Uh, something that I'm not used to. Um, the patience and being able to just give yourself to someone else is very, very difficult to me. I'm used to this being me and my wife, and primarily, we, you know, we're pretty selfish. It's just us. But now, having you know, raising a whole new human being, I, it's it it kind of signaled a whole new chapter for me. And it's tough, you know, being that I'm 40 and he's 
six months to try to run in behind him or do all those things. I mean, I start, I try to, I mean, I've always tried to be in shape, but it's, it's diminishing returns. It's really, it's really tough. Even now it's tough. All right. Well, country boy, are you ready to jump into our first news story? Yes. This story is from BBC news, entertainment and art, August 11th, 2020. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to be rebooted as a gritty drama. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground was where he spent most of his days. Now the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, played by Will Smith in the beloved 90s sitcom, is coming back for a reboot. But this time, the story of the streetwise teen who moves in with his upper-class uncle and aunt, the aunt who obviously gets replaced in season at the end of season one, will not be a comedy, but instead a hard-hitting drama. The new version will be based on the viral YouTube trailer created by Morgan Cooper titled Bel Air that reimagined the classic series as the aforementioned hard-hitting gritty drama. Bel Air will dive deeper into the inherent conflicts, emotions, and biases of what it means to be a black man in America today while still delivering the swagger and fun nods to the original show. Will Smith, after praising the trailer as the dramatic version of The Fresh Prince for the next generation, will be on board as executive producer and has Hem Cooper to fill the role of bringing the gritty trailer to life under Smith's production company, Westbrook Studios. The show has been in the works for more than a year since the success of Cooper's trailer and is currently being shopped to streaming services such as Peacock uh, through NBC, Netflix, and HBO Max. Reboots, a signifying of a new start in an established fictional universe, remain in high demand across broadcast cable and streaming platforms as they come in with built-in recognition, which in turn helps to reduce the cost of marketing, making it obviously easier to cut through the crowded landscape of new original material. However, the key to a successful reboot is to have the original creators and studios attached, which Bel Air has in spades. Uh, so Country Party, where do, you, where do you stand on just reboots and their impact on the landscape of media just in general? Um, I'm, I've never been a huge fan of of reboots, traditionally reboots end up they in my experience, they're bad versions of the originals. Especially these days, it's very hard for you to capture that nostalgia, that those that love you had for something that you grew up with or you were raised with as a child. So, you know, with the Transformers reboots, I grew up with the Transformers. You telling me that you're gonna make brand new movies, that's not for me. Like the cartoons, the Transformer cartoons. Yeah, the cartoons, yeah. And the and the movie too. But yeah, you're not you're not creating those for me. Those are for you to introduce Transformers to a brand new generation because I already have an idea of what the Transformers are. So you introducing that to to me, I'm already gonna come in with a negative, with a negative reaction. That's the same reaction I have to the Fresh Prince. I grew up watching the Fresh, the Fresh Prince, I watch it. Now, on a consistent basis. So the idea that you're going to reboot this as a drama uh, feels real, real CW to me. It feels real kind of low budget. Like I, I think it's going to be terrible. <laughs> Honestly, I, have wa- I remember watching the show and thinking it does have some dramatic elements and you parking more on those dramatic elements. I, I can see where you're going. I can I get the idea and I even watched the trailer, but I just I don't think I don't think it's going to work. I, I think as a as an original IP without being attached to the Fresh Prince, it would have been better. I could see this like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. The fact that you took something that was a comedy and you turn it into a drama, I mean, people are going to be coming into that. I feel like they're going to come up with a bad taste because it's so different. I grew up watching The Fresh Prince on TBS every morning before school, along with Saved by the Bell. Those were like the two shows I would watch every morning before school. And it is, it's like you look at it and like, I really enjoyed that show. It did have some serious moments. It had a lot of those serious moments, you know, like Will talking about his father, uh, you know, Carlton and Will 
after the shooting. You know, it had those serious moments, but it was always the undertone of this is a comedy first, right. and then those serious moments are there. I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where people are like, they, their reboots seem to be very popular right. these days, and it's the com- that's that common argument of there's just a lack of creativity in Hollywood, but. Hollywood, even though it was built on risks in the very beginning, right now, Hollywood's all about being safe. Like, what can make us money? What can, you know, get money back to these investors? I think it's one of those things where there is, there is new, like, and innovative content being created, but it's just being overshadowed by reboots because what would you rather watch a Fresh Prince of Bel Air reboot or some show you've never heard of by a creator you've never heard of? You know, if it wasn't for, um, this Morgan Cooper, uh, guy making this trailer, would we know his name? No. And honestly, I followed him on Twitter after this. And he had been talking about, you know, this is coming soon, coming soon. And, and in, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's not like Hollywood talk. Like something is <laughs> going to happen, but it's not really ever going to happen. I just feel like it's going to be this is this is going to be a bad idea. And, and even the article kind of hark, it kind of talks about it a little bit because it's like you get to come with an established brand in, in a room full of new IPs. But what you end up with is a reboot. In a room full of re- reboots, like it's mm-hmm. so many reboots that people are like, as soon as they see this or hear this, they already have a negative connotation. Like, oh, it's another reboot, like the Transformers, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or another show that, that that's been rebooted. You know, every time you see it, you think if someone wants to say, like, I, I think I remember someone mentioning the idea of rebooting the Golden Girls. The soon, as soon as that, that idea popped in your head, you're like, nah, don't do that. It's a classic. So just stop messing with things. You come up with your own original ideas. That's that's what I feel. (laughs) I I do think there are some shows and movies that have an opportunity to be rebooted because there is there is those situations where you can tell a story in a different way or maybe there's something you can add. But then there is those classics like Back to the Future. Like you don't need to reboot that. You know, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I feel like is one of those shows. Like you said, I mean, I still watch the Fresh Prince. It's still one of those shows that the messages and the content of the show still fits, you know, almost 30 years later. Right. It's still relevant. Matter of fact, ironically, my wife was watching the Fresh Prince of Bel Air before I came came here to start taping. So I I do think there is, you know, a space to like, I don't have children yet, um, but there is a space to like, I want my kids to be able to watch a show I grew up with and to be able to connect with them on that. And if that's a reboot, then that's a reboot. But also... Does it need to be a reboot? I feel like you can introduce your kids to to older shows and they still be able to resonate with with them. I mean, for instance, E.T. You don't have to reboot E.T. You can still show your kids E.T. and they can still resonate with them. You know, yeah, some things have changed and it's, and it's you know, the early 80s, but they can still watch this like, oh, that was a really good movie. You don't have to reintroduce this for 2020 just for it to say it had the same cultural impact that it had on you when you were a kid. I hope I hope my son likes the Goonies and Pee Wee's Big Adventure the way I used to. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, it's one of those things where like the Goonies, E.T., like, can you add something to that? And if you can add something to it, then let's consider it. But then you have situations like, you know, the female-led Ghostbusters or the rebooted Charlie's Angels that did not perform well critically, not because of the female cast, but just because there wasn't anything that needed to be added to those stories. And it, first off, it just wasn't done well. It was, I mean, not to not to just go into a whole bashed Ghostbusters, the, the, the third Ghostbusters. <laughs> it was weird because it was not a direct, it wasn't in the line. 
they didn't even acknowledge the old Ghostbusters. It was supposed to be a brand new thing, but yet they would do things to harken back to the old Ghostbusters. So it's like, okay, which one is it? You're trying to play both sides of the fence. And also it felt like they wanted to be too much. If you ever watched the originals, the originals were, uh, they were com- comedic, but they were serious. They, they, they took what their job very seriously. You know, it had some comedic elements, but the third one was, it was a comedy. And that, I think it turned off a lot of people. I th- at least it turned off me. I watched it. I did enjoy some laughs, but I, I, I came away with a bad taste in my mouth. And this is one of these things that people feel about reboots as a whole. If you do things like this and they come away and they're like, you just took something from my, from my childhood and you pooped all over it. And now you want, you want me to, to sign up for, to do this again? No, I'm not doing that. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where it could potentially ruin the original. Like now looking back at Ghostbusters, you're like, well, that other Ghostbusters, the rebooted Ghostbusters is there. Even, you know, Charlie's Angels, because I just you read something about, I don't I forgot who the director was, but she was mad that people weren't going to watch female-led movies. And I'm like, there's so many other female-led movies that performed well that people did see because the movie was actually good. Like even the original Charlie's Angels, it was corny as hell, yeah. but it was enjoyable. And I think it's one of those things where you have to be careful with all these boots is if you don't add something new that people like you're just ruining the original and that's i mean the fresh prince was a good freaking show like we're still watching it today do we need another story in that universe right. and 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 a lot of times with these reboots the original creators are not on board with this this is the studio taking something we have this ip we want to be able to make something of it. And a lot of times the original creators aren't on board. One thing I will say about this, and I'm not sure how much of the Fresh Prince was, was was Will Smith's idea, but the fact that he worked on the show, he was the main character and it be, kind of became, he, you know, he pretty much is the Fresh Prince and that he's on board with it. Maybe. But judging by the movies that he's done recently, <laughs> who knows? A little hesitancy there. <laughs> I'm a little hesitant. I'm, I'm slightly Slightly hesitant, you know, I'm, but I'm always hesitant of, re- of reboots, reboots in general. I can't remember the last time I saw a reboot and I was like, that was done very faithful to the original. <laughs> and I felt like I learned more from this. I mean, at least with the Transformers, I can say the Transformers were enjoyable. Yeah, they were like that popcorn flick. Yeah. Like, you felt like, I'm, OK, this is not faithful to the original, but I did enjoy it for an hour. It was like cotton candy. I put it in my mouth. I enjoyed it. It disappeared. <laughs> I forgot I had it. Well, what are, what are some shows before we move on here? What are what are some shows or a movie you would like to see rebooted? Oh wow, the X Files. I would love. I'm a huge X Files fan, and ironically, with most shows, this is weird because if you watch shows like The Blacklist or uh, what's the name of that other the other one, the other sci fi type show that it came out on Fox, I can't remember. Fringe. The monsters of the week were there. But when they got to the storyline, you're like, okay, this is, I, I enjoy this. But with the X-Files, the monsters of the week were the show. Every week they would have a different monster. You were like, this is great. And the, the main storyline was absolute trash. What I would like to see happen is an X-Files, a modern day X-Files, new Mulder and Scully, brand, brand new monsters of the week, brand new ideas. And we come up with a new storyline to something that's something better than what they had before i feel like that show has its following it's been out it's been a while since it's been out they tried to reboot it but they brought back the same Mulder and scully and i feel like they're tired of it and sick of it you can bring in a new cast brand new um, agents I, I think it would work i think it would work that said i probably I, it's probably an exit files fan out here who's like 
don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's one of those things where it can go so wrong. Like, I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Show uh, or the Twilight Zone with Rod Sterling. And then the reboot with Jordan Peele. I mean, obviously, they extended it from 30 minutes to an hour. And it, I don't know. It just I don't know if you're a fan of it, but it just doesn't work for me. You know, it takes away the 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 feeling of the original yeah. where the original is like, oh, this is amazing. And that's where, like, I have that fear of like, oh, now we're just degrading this product you know i think i think you can do reboots well like my reboot is i would love to see batman beyond i don't know if you ever watched that cartoon but oh my gosh that was one of the best cartoons it was it was in the same vein as the batman the animated series i would love to see a new spin on batman beyond man i grew up on batman animated series my dad used to watch it that's how i got into it he was like you gotta watch this it's batman and i remember how dark that was especially the episodes of clayface and then um the 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 um, batman beyond came out i was like this is a really interesting show and one thing about that show that was great is they didn't really shy away from the darker elements um so they they showed you know people with you know body dysmorphia and really things that you're like on a cartoon you're like okay this is kind of dark my whole thing, the entire time I watched this show, I wanted nothing else in the world but to watch Bruce Wayne put the suit back on. That's all I wanted. I think it happened like once or twice in the show, but that's all I wanted the entire time. I was like, please, just one time, put the suit put the suit back on. I you totally know? agree. <laughs> I would like to welcome to the show Country Boy. Country Boy is the host of the Cut Podcast, a black barbershop style discussion show with new episodes every Friday, as well as the host of a new history podcast, One Mike, which retells impactful stories of black history. Like the Harlem Hellfighters of World War One, Country Boy, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is great. I like this. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying myself. Uh, your new show, One Mike, talks about these important figures and events of Black history. What was the inspiration, motivation behind creating a history podcast and sharing those impactful stories? So one of the things that I always enjoyed, I always enjoyed history. I was, you know, I'd read and watch things about history anyway. While I was doing the cut. I just kind of felt like there was more, more I could be given. So I was like, well, maybe I can create something that has some value, has some weight to it. And this is where I started the idea of, of creating a Black History podcast. And I had been mulling over this idea for a while. Ultimately, I just decided to just do it. Just I'm just going to create a topic and do it. And this started with um, the Tulsa Tulsa massacre, Tulsa uh, riots of um, 1921. I was, um, there is a guy, Assorted Goods podcast, who I'm friends with, and he did an episode about Tulsa riots. And I listened to it and I was like, man, I have to cover this. I have to do this. This is really interesting. So I started doing research on that. And I have an episode on deck about that. But then I saw all these prerequisites that started. So I had, uh, I was like, okay, the Tulsa riots, this is great. But the way the reason why we got here is because of World War One veterans during World War One and then disenfranchised. And when they came home, you know, they were targets. So I was like, I have to talk about that. I have to talk about veterans during World War One. How we get to talk about the Harlem Hellfighters. I have to talk about the Red Summer because that was pre, the prelude to Tulsa. It, it, it kind of just snowballed. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to do it. And I know that these episodes seem um, episodic, but the idea for the season is to give you a total picture of people's ideas and feelings um, during this time period, you know, during this complete time period. So when you listen to it, you're like, oh, I understand how 
we got here and why people felt the way they felt. So if you listen to my episode about the Great Migration, you you know you would know that when Black Southerners moved to the South, I mean when moved to the North, the European immigrants that were living there weren't doing that much better than they were, and the, and the racism that they felt in the North was much different than the racism in the, in the South. I mean, I guess it was, we don't say different, it's rebranded. So in the South, they felt Jim Crow and a racial hierarchy. You here, we here. When they got to the North, they were competition. You are an invasion of people because we are not doing that much better than you are. We are struggling to get by and you are competition for the same houses, for the same jobs. This sucks. We can't handle, we, we closed. All these stories, all these ideas, you're like, oh, I see how people felt, why they felt, it even on both sides. I want to be as by as unbiased as possible. Um, my biggest struggle, and I've been kind of feel like I'm rambling. I don't want to ramble, but my biggest <laughs> struggle this entire time has been me. It's not the stories. It's not the, the research. It's me. I feel like my voice is trash, and I want to be as to be as engaging as possible. I don't want you to be bored. And when I'm reading my script, I feel like I'm when I listen to it, I'm reading a script. I've been trying to train myself to you know be more Morgan Freeman to, to channel my inner. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I definitely agree with you there. I've been doing this for seven years now and I'm still like, I could do it better. I could do it better. But no, it, it, it's so cool to like have shows like this because a lot of people didn't know about the Tulsa massacre until Watchmen covered it in their first episode. I mean, it was one of the biggest moments in black history as far as, you know, conflict between white and black. And people didn't realize what it was until a TV show came out and said it in what, 20, was it a year ago? About about a year ago. And the crazy thing about at least Tulsa is that the media actively played a part in kind of sweeping that under the rug. So up until very, very recently, they wasn't taught in schools. They, they, it, wasn't, it wasn't celebrated. It wasn't talked about. I, I remember this story I heard from a guy. He went to school and he was taught about the, the Tulsa massacre. He was like, that's not right. I live in Tulsa. That never happened. I grew up in Greenwood. Like that did not happen. I, he's, like, he's like, mine, mine was blown. So my plan, my idea, especially from the time after Reconstruction up until about the civil rights movement, I feel like it's a it's a dark period for American history and black history as a whole because the, and John Oliver talked about this a little bit, but we like to show American history as a linear path, as if it's just constantly moving upwards. Good point. And yeah. That's not the way things are. Things, things. It was a rocky path. It was, it was like climbing a mountain. It's all going to be peaks and valleys, and we're going to do better, and then we're going to slide back down. And I want to be able to to show those peaks and valleys, and not just the bad side. I don't want. I I, I really really want to refrain from having my podcast be just horror and gore and the dark side of things. I want you to see some. There, there were some shining lights. There were some some good moments in this. So an episode I'm working on now is about the Harlem Renaissance. So I want I want this to be some could be some happy stories, some happy times. But I also want to shine a very very factual light on things that happened during this time period. So I, I think it's I think it's going to be dope. I really feel like there's there's major major value in it, and I, according to my listens, I mean people people seem to enjoy it. Even if I don't like my voice, people seem to tell me that I have a great voice. <laughs> well, I'm excited <laughs> to see see what you create. I mean, even like the Harlem Hellfighters, you know, I want to do a deep dive on them because they're just so badass. Yeah. But listeners, if you'd like to connect with Country Boy and listen to his podcast, The Cut Podcast, you can do so by heading to Instagram at the Cut underscore Podcast. 
or on Twitter at the Cut Podcast One. And if you're interested in hearing more stories from Black History, you can support his new podcast, One Mike, by following the show on Twitter at One Mike History. As always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under Country Boys episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Once again, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Before we move on, Water Cooler Talk is on a mission to help give back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each episode, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of the episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to the charity in the guest's name, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. Country Boy, your charity of choice for today's episode is the St. Jude's Children Hospital. Do you mind, you know, they're a popular, popular uh, charity there, but do you just mind explaining a bit about what they do and the impact they have in the community? Oh, wow. St. Jude is awesome. They do, they do research for, uh, I think it's primarily children's cancers. And if you go, um, to St. Jude, you don't pay anything. So all you have to do is worry about your child, your child getting better. And the way this came about is I had a good friend of mine whose daughter had, um, was diagnosed with cancer. I think, wow, it's been a couple of years now. I think she was five or six at the time. And honestly, it was hard. It's hard to watch him. Someone who was like me, he was older. It took him a long time to have a kid and to see somebody that you care about, you know, that much and they're sick. It was really, really tough for me. And one thing that he he prays constantly was the support that he got from St. Jude and the fact that he didn't have to worry about paying any bills and that they were constantly, they were constantly great. So he could continue to be strong for his daughter and his daughter could be strong for him because his daughter was great. His daughter told a story once she had, she was doing chemo and she had to cut her hair. You know, he was broken up about it. You know, he cried a little bit and his daughter was like, it's only hair, daddy. It'll grow back. <laughs> like, man, you are, not only she profound beyond her years, but man, that, I mean, that, that sort of thing that it, it, it touched me. It touched me too so i'm i'm a big proponent of of saint jude and and so is he well i appreciate you sharing that story i appreciate you sharing uh, a little bit more about them are you ready to jump into our last news story today yeah yeah, let's go this is from the hamilton specter august 2nd 2013 Woman denied haircut at Westdale Barbershop. Lila Miklosh wanted a shorter haircut for the summer. She thought heading to the barbershop in Westdale would be perfect, since she had a gift certificate to use. I've got a gift certificate I want to use. I want it in a silent auction. And he's like, well, I'm not cutting your hair. I know how to cut women's hair, but I'm not cutting your hair because this is a men's only store. And I'm, I, my brain was kind of like... You're, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I was having some time processing what he just said. Phil and Jemmy would not speak on camera, but says that part is true. He will not cut women's hair. Phil states, the shop's been open since at least the 40s. I seriously don't think it's good for business if I do a woman's haircut here. It is more time consuming and men might not want to wait for women to have their hair cut. Lila, in an effort to prevent the same hurt and embarrassment she felt, contacted the Westdale Village BIA, Councillor Brian McHattin, and Member of Provincial Parliament Ted McKean. While filing a complaint with the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal, she states, There's a barber out there who really needs some sensitivity. She adds that she'd like an apology from the barber, Phil, and for him to undergo anti-oppression training to avoid situations like this in the future. There is an update to this story, so Phil and Lila did make amends over cup cakes, with Lila deciding to drop her complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal and Phil agreeing to cut a woman's hair if it's in a male style. So just just from, from the story, who do you think, if anybody, was in the right here and who was in the wrong? From a from a business standpoint, I feel like I feel like businesses shouldn't be in you should not be in the in, in the market of discriminating against people. 
I, I don't want to get into um, taking us to a different direction, but one of the reasons why they wanted to desegregate places during the 60s was because of franchisement. Mm-hmm. If you're a mom and pop stop shop, you can say, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't want to serve black people. You can go to the back or whatever. But if you're McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's wants to serve burgers to everybody. You see what I'm saying? Because they, they're in the business of making green. And, and and I feel like the supplies here. You're in the business of making money. And I, yes, you may be a mom and pop shop, but the idea that you can take and say, no, I don't want your money because you are a woman, you're a different color, you don't look the way I think you should look. That's silly. It's silly. It's 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 really silly. So I, I can't I can't really agree with that. Especially when I thought maybe he she came in and she wanted a woman's haircut and and that's that's pretty that's pretty difficult for for a barber to do. But she is probably asking for you know a, a, a fade, a blend, or something something. I got haircut. You do this every day. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the photos of her, but she had you know a short male haircut. And I definitely agree. Like I'm on the fence. I'm like I think both of them were kind of in the wrong. No one was really in the right because it it at the end of the day, you know. It for Phil, you know, it's his business. He can decide if he doesn't want a customer, he doesn't want a customer. That's, you know, he's a private business. He can do what he wants to do. You know, I think that's a good point you brought up about this is something that if it was because of a race, it would be a bigger issue. So why is it not an issue with sex? But then also, I think Lila kind of went into the situation and antagonized the situation for bigger than it needed to be. Right. And so it's one of those things where I think just both of them were kind of in the wrong here. You know, Phil, if it was, it, you know, if Lila came in and she had like long hair, long, you know, primarily what we consider female hair, and Phil was like, well, I'm, I'm in a barber. I don't, I've never been trained in that stuff. I could see that situation playing more in the favor of Phil. Right. But since, you know, she has this short kind of cut that easily a male barber could do, I think they're both kind of in the wrong here. Yeah. I mean, I think he was in the wrong because he could have, he could have easily done the haircut and moved on. She was definitely in the wrong because I feel like she knew exactly what was going to happen and went there with a fight in mind that I'm going to have to fight this person or I'm going to make a hoopla about this haircut. And and that's one thing I would say about about me or maybe black people in general is that we used to not going. We're not welcome. We're not used to not going there like, oh, you don't want me here. Peace. I don't I don't have to deal with your establishment. You know, so from in my mind, I, the first thing I thought was just go get a haircut somewhere else. Why are we why is this even worth your time, energy and effort? I don't feel like it's it's worth the time or the time she put in. And a lot of times people, especially this guy, and I don't really feel like you changed his mind any. You you made this hoopla, you brought his business, you got articles, and he's still probably the same asshole he was when he started. And now he's getting more business. Yeah. So what what have we done here? What what have you haven't moved the needle one iota and this guy is <laughs> getting more business than he did before. Yeah, I mean we have a lot of these stories where Lila she was publicly embarrassed, right? right. And she lost some of that power and by, you know, going to the Human Rights Tribunal, that was her way of somehow trying to get that power back. Right. But in the end, it made her almost almost petty. Like she was, like you said, there's many, many, there's probably thousands and th- Ontario is a big city. There's probably, you know, a lot more barbershops or salons that would be glad to take her business, glad to take her money. Right. But she was like, I felt embarrassed. So I had to get some retribution. I, I, and honestly, oh man, she seems, and I don't know her, I don't know her. But she seems like the kind of person that does this a lot. This is not her first rodeo. This is not her first, you know, 
time making a hoopla over something that it was a minor, a minor, minor slight. And I mean, to your point, your ability to say, no, I don't want you as a customer is it's completely your right. If, no matter how we feel about you, how you how we're like, wow, this guy's an asshole. And, you know, you know, money's always green. That is his right to say, I don't want and the, the idea in my in my mind of you selling someone you have to serve me. Just the the the, the privilege. Like, who do you think you are <laughs> to tell me I have to serve if it were me? It, this is the kind of person I am. If you were me and I was like, uh, I don't feel comfortable doing your hair. You know, let's just say that. I don't feel comfortable doing your hair. Oh, no, you're going to do my hair. Oh, now I definitely don't want to do it. <laughs> now I definitely don't want to do it. You're not going to force me to do nothing. You're going to have all. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to mess it up. You're going to hate it. And then I'm going to get a negative review regardless. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's, it's it, it felt very lose lose for him. Like there was no good scenario in this. And she came there a bit with a fight in mind. If it were me, I could see myself on both ends. If I was a business owner, I would be, I would have probably just done and cut her hair and moved on with my life. If I were her, I probably would have just left. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I think, I think, I, just think this was another situation where there was just like a breakdown of communication. Like I tried to look, there was nothing uh, about Phil's barber or barbershop that said it was male only. Like I couldn't find anything. Like the article mentioned, uh, they did like a video, like a news story on it, like an actual recorded news story. And they talked about there's no signs in the shop that said this. And it's one of those things where it's like, come on, man, you're running a business. You know, he mentioned like it's been men only since the 40s. It's not the 40s anymore. That was 80, what, 60, 80 years ago. It's time to kind of <laughs> update those traditions. And oh, man, I mean, I haven't gone been in a barbershop in a while, you know, as you can tell. But <laughs> <laughs> when I did used to go, it was primarily men, mm -hmm. 90% men. The women that did come in, every blue moon, there might be a woman with her kids. And of those women, there's another small percentage that was, they were getting haircuts. What they didn't, this is why, you know, growing on my experience, I've seen them cut women's hair and have no problem doing that because the money was still green. But um, to that point, the conversation was different. The conversation was always different. And I'm sure that's what he was, that's what he was leaning about, about being, you know, a guy on the establishment. Because as soon as women come in, in the barbershop, the conversation shifts. You know, when I'm talking to my barber, he may be talking about his side chick or the women that he was dating. My, my, my barber was a, a philanderer, <laughs> <laughs> but he would tell like these stories. And then as soon as uh, a woman would come in, you know, it's no cursing. You can't be vulgar, all these things. So if you wanted to have a male only environment, I'm assuming that's what he wanted to keep. He wanted to, you know, I want you guys to feel free to say what you want to, what you want to say, what you like to say. So I can see why he would get that idea in his head, but also you a business, man. You you a business. I'm sure you have bills. I know you got rent that you need to pay. But can you can you really afford to go around and tell someone, no, I don't want your I don't want your money? Even though she got in vouchers, so he probably already gotten paid. But. I'm very particular about my hair. Like when it's longer, I'll go to a salon. When it's shorter, I'll go to a barber shop. And like you said, those conversations are vastly different because you know salons are more female, you know, haircut stylists and barbershops are mainly male stylists. So it's like that conversation is completely different. And I, I can I can see his point is like, I want to keep this a male business because I want to have those conversations. But once again, it's 2020, man, you got it. You got to grow with the times. Why can't you still have that same conversation with a female around? Right. Or maybe 
maybe your conversations are the problem. Maybe if that's you have, very good point, very good point. You have a conversation with where you can't, where this lady can't be present. Maybe you shouldn't be having that conversation, that conversation at all. I mean, obviously, as you talked about, you we uh, you host the podcast, The Cut, which is based around you know the barbershop style of conversation. Like, what's the importance of the barbershop? We kind of talked about it, but in the male community, one of the things um, that I used to enjoy about the barbershop is that you would get. Depending on the day, the, the the conversation, the life lessons, you you know, the jokes, you'd have people coming in selling goods, selling wares, at least at you know, at at, at black barbershops. At any given day you went in, in in there, you had no idea what you were gonna see, hear, enjoy. I mean, that was kinda the enjoyment of it because you would go and you would go in and it was always different. It was always it was great. I, I miss it. I miss it. I miss going. Uh, 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 because I miss that conversation and, you know, and talking to people and, and having that camaraderie. It's like, hey, you know, this, this, this happened or what happened with that particular situation you were having? And, you know, you can get advice. You can sit in that chair and it's like, God, I got this, this, this going on. He's like, why he's cutting your hair? He will give you life advice on what you do about a particular situation. That stuff is great, man. I, I used, I used to love it. I'm looking forward to to going back when my son gets his haircut, you know, maybe maybe I can kind of get back into that groove. I haven't been in like five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like now the barbershop's opening, re- reopening back up, but it's one of those things where you would go and go for a quick cleanup, and you would spend like an hour, two hours there just talking about whatever because it's like one of those. It's just like a hangout. It's like girls' night with wine. Like I love wine, but it's like one of those things for you and kind of these community people that you bond with in the barbershop to have just a space to like I hate saying safe space because it's such a just stupid term but it's one of those spaces where you can just go and have conversations and be be more vulnerable but also be vulnerable in like a good way and you can be around positive role models positive males um in the black community we always have a shortage positive male role models and yeah you might only see your barber shop for you know a couple hours every two weeks but it at least as someone you can say this person is doing positive things in the community there's a lot of barbershops they give out free haircuts they'll give you life lessons hey don't you know don't do this do this you're gonna get yourself in trouble listen to me i got you know maybe he has felonies the barber i used to work with he had a couple felonies he was um he was now had his barber license and was doing better. And he would tell you, like, don't mess up the way I did. This is this is a bad move. This is a bad move. And especially with, the, when we, you know, with black guys, when you find a barber, your barber is that is your guy. You are tied to your barber. People will leave their wife before they leave their barber. <laughs> I can go sit in the chair. I don't have to tell him nothing. I could just sit down and he'll be like, hey, what's up? And he'll just start cutting your hair because he's so used to what you want. And knowing you, the worst thing in the world after you have an established barber is having to go to a new guy and tell him what you want out of your hair. Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? You want to tape it in the back? You want to square around it? Like, ugh, what? What? what are, what's going? What's happening? All these questions. You used to answer. So I, I, I love it, man. I, um, I love that. I love. I really love the atmosphere, but not enough to just go randomly sit in there. <laughs> I need. Yeah, to, yeah. No, you, you need. You need the space. Yeah, yeah, I need a reason. I need to go a haircut. Oh, good reason to go. During this quarantine, I've been watching, rewatching Last Chance You on Netflix. Every time they're in the barbershop, it's always just this like connection and. 
you, you just feel like you can be, like I said, you can feel you can be more vulnerable. I think, you know, we've talked about male vulnerability a lot on the show. It's like males tend to only be vulnerable with their significant other. And it's tough to find that vulnerability in other people. Right. So to be able to go to a space where you, you feel like you can be a little more vulnerable, but still kind of get clowned every once in a while to keep you humble. It's one of those spaces where it's just like, it feels good to go here and to be able to communicate and have these good conversations. And, and male vulnerability is tough because especially when it's your significant other, because there are some things that you can't, you can't express your significant other, you know? So for instance, so it's nice to have a, it's nice to have a third party that you can go to and confide to who can see things from an outside perspective and are not going to judge you. Like for instance, with me, we went through um, a lot of IVFs, um, in in vitro fertilization. You know, my wife would be like, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? I don't know, but I can't tell her that. I have to be constantly be the strong one, the strong one. It's fine. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I believe in it. I believe in it, even if I have no clue. So the ability to be able to find a third party or someone else where you can be like, yo, this stuff is beating me, it's beating me up. I'm tired of, you know, of, of constantly having to be the strong one. Even if that's your barbershop or anyone, it's, it's great. And it's really, really, cause it's really tough. You know, your wife, your wife cannot always be the person that you can find to about things because there's some things you just can't you can't tell her. I can't be truthful with you about this. I mean, that's not fair to your significant other either to have them always be the person you go to because that's that's just taxing, man. That's a lot of energy they have to spend on you. You see a lot of marriages and relationships break down because you become codependent on your significant other because you can't find those outside third party people to vent to. Exactly. You need. I feel like there needs to be an outside an outside observer you know, also an outside person, someone like what you don't want to do is you don't want to start venting to your mom or to your dad or someone who knows her, who's close. If you have a person who is, you know, removed third party in the situation that doesn't really have a dog in a fight on either side that you can vent to, it makes it much better because they come in into it from a neutral space, but they're also not going to come back and say, well, I never liked her ass anyway. You know, they're not going to be like that. They're never going to be like that. If you vent to your mother, when times are bad, she's going to tell you, I hate her because she did X, Y, and Z. Because what happens is you never go back and tell her, oh, we worked it out. Oh, this got better. So when you vent to them, you just, all you do is poison that well with your relationship. When you turn an outside observer, you can say, okay, this happened and I fixed it and it got better. But even if you don't go back and tell them that, it's never going to get back to your significant other or she's never going to be coming back to you like, I hate that person. You don't really, you don't know her. <laughs> and I think it's also important, like, you know, like you said, you got to find the right place. You can't just go to any barbershop or a gym or, you know, wherever you may hang out with other males. You can't just find some random. You need to go to a place where you can have honest conversations with those people and you can have some, you know, back and forth trust. And that's that's one of the things that I try. I try to be for people if they want to have a conversation, you know, or or text me. You have you know problems, relationships, or even on the podcast. I, I try to be as 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 transparent myself as as I can be. I, I I don't I don't want you to feel like that all you're getting is is laughter and jokes. If you know when things happen or 
in my life or if I, you know, I have questions or things I want to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be as completely transparent as I can with people. It's always, it's been the way I've always, I'm always been, I am who you get. I'm, I get, I am who you see. Well, country boy, <laughs> I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. It's been a pleasure listening to your voice. I think you're going to get to that Morgan Freeman level very soon. Uh, once again, listeners, if you'd like to connect with country boy and listen to his podcast, the cut, you can do so by heading to Instagram at the cut underscore podcast. One more time. That's at the cut underscore podcast on Instagram, follow the show on Twitter at the cut podcast one or support his new podcast one Mike about stories from black history by following the show on Twitter at one Mike history. As always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under country boys episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Country boy, we have now come to my favorite part of the episode where I hand the show over to you. It makes my job so much easier. <laughs> uh, the floor is yours. Whatever whatever you think needs to be said. Man, it's been great. I really, really enjoyed talking to you, talking to you today, man. It's been, it's, it, I really enjoyed this. I need, I needed this. But uh, all, all the people out there, all the listeners, um, we would love for you to come to check out the cut, check the cut podcast, check out one mic. I'm really trying to work hard and, and be, and make it the most. I'm just trying to grow and be better every single episode. I'm learning as you're learning. And if you're thinking of starting your own podcast, and I know it feels like everyone has their own podcast, but I feel like the platform is there for people to, I mean, because this is one of the few media forums where people can go out and make and, and get out there and spread your message to the people that has never been available before in the past. Like if, you know, on TV, you would see things on TV. You may have something I want to say. You didn't have that platform. But now in 2020, you know, it's been out for you know, longer than that. But in 2020, you have a multiple options where you can make your own podcast, social media, where you can get your message out there. So if you're thinking about creating your own podcast and you are reluctant, I would say just do it. You will grow and learn and get better every single episode. And one day you will look back and you will be 65 episodes in and you will hate your first episode with the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 is a long year. I don't think it's ever going to end. So you have plenty of time to create your own podcast. You do. You do. I, 2020 is like five years long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. It, amazing conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, listeners, hope you enjoyed it as well. But until next time, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. What an episode. What a guest. What a time. Thank you once again to Country Boy for calling into the studio to talk about those bizarre news stories. As always, make sure to support what he's creating by following the links in the description of this episode or by going to our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And of course, stay until the end of the episode to catch a few minute trailer of One Mike Podcast available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, make sure to support Country Boy's charity of choice for today's episode, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. All it takes is $5, the price of a coffee, to help make a difference. Helping out can even be as easy as telling a friend about a new cause around the water cooler wherever those dang water coolers may appear. But anyways... To the corrections! In the first story discussing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot, as mentioned in the introduction, the Bel-Air reboot has been picked up for two seasons by NBC and will be directed and written by Morgan Cooper, the creator of that gritty reboot trailer. Plus, a 30-year reunion show is set to premiere this Thanksgiving 
on HBO Max. Speaking of the reunion and burying the hatch, Will Smith and the original Aunt Viv, Janet Hubert, are supposedly back on good terms. But she ended up being replaced at the end of season three, not the end of the first season, as I had said in the episode. Hubert was, of course, replaced by Daphne Maxwell-Reed for season four, five, and six. The director of the rebooted Charlie's Angels was Elizabeth Banks, who, 30 Rock Connection, there you go, connected back to the introduction there. <laughs> and finally, the episode where old Bruce Wayne suits up again in Batman Beyond is titled Disappearing Inc., which is the 11th episode of the first season. All right, Water Coolians, that's another Corrections Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to Country Boy for calling into the studio and talking about some of the strangest and most weirdest news stories the world has to offer. But anyways, that's your Corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. The enslavement of African Americans in the United States built wealth and prosperity for white Americans, but at the same time assigned black people to chains and servitude and created the idea of racial inferiority, a belief that black people were naturally and permanently inferior to whites and created a, the powerful idea that is still rooted in a lot of people's minds. Blacks always looked at military service as a way to achieve racial equality and to douse the idea of racial inferiority. The idea of donning a military uniform and fighting for democracy to earn respect and decency conflicted with the very status of black people in America. Black servicemen staked their claim on freedom and equality on military service. Fighting for democracy was key to a better life that African-Americans desired. And by serving their country, black veterans displayed their commitment to the country's values. In the face of a constant message of racial hierarchy and despite not being recognized as full citizens in America, many blacks fought for the United States for the idea that conditions would get better. But instead... Black soldiers who served in the armed forces from the Civil War to the end of World War II only faced racial terror, violence, and hatred, and especially during peacetime. White Americans feared that black veterans asserting and demanding equality would disrupt the social order built on white supremacy and destroy the economic order of things. They feared that black veterans would believe they were equal to whites and worth more than poverty, poor education, and unskilled jobs. The South in particular feared that an independent black veteran would lead other African Americans, especially in the South, to challenge racial segregation that the South was built on. Black veterans trained in weapons and combat were felt to be a threat to use those new skills at home. Black veterans were the physical representation of white fears of a black population that outright rejected its place in the racial hierarchy. The determination of black veterans seeking equality following their military service clashed with the determination of white Americans who wanted to continue white supremacy. This tension made black servicemen special targets for discrimination, mistreatment, and violence. 
The persecution of black veterans is important to understanding racial violence against African-Americans as a whole. From the end of Reconstruction until years after World War II, thousands of black veterans were accosted, beaten, and attacked, and some were lynched. 